Amen. Our reading from God's Holy Word comes from Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, beginning in verse 1 and continuing to the end of the chapter in verse 13. Let's give attention to the reading of God's Holy Word. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who, was, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand towards heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. And then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335th day. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest, and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Father, as we take the next few minutes and consider this passage that you gave to us through your servant, the prophet Daniel, we would ask that your Holy Spirit would be mighty among us, that we would be the wise who understand in this passage, that we would be those who endure to the end and who set our sights upon the rest that is to come and upon the allotted place 
that has been preserved for us beside our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the kingdom that is come, that is coming, and is still yet to come. We pray for your grace now as we seek to understand this, your word. Guide us in the way of all truth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's hard to believe we're at the end of the book of Daniel. It doesn't get easier towards the end. It doesn't get easier towards the end. It ramps up as we move towards the end. It was great studying this week and exploring this beautiful passage and looking back through the last chapters that we have studied together, all of its twists and turns and all of its various complexities. This one's about the end, facing the end, enduring to the end. I couldn't help but remember that, you know, that scene near the end of the return of the king. After a particular terrible battle at a particular low moment, Sam and Frodo lying on the ground, believing that the end is near. We read these words in that wonderful book. I am glad you are here with me, said Frodo, here at the end of all things. Yes, I am with you, master, said Sam, laying Frodo's wounded hand gently to his breast. And you're with me. And the journey's finished. But after coming all this way, I'm not ready to give up yet. It's not like me somehow, if you understand. Well, maybe not, Sam, said Frodo. But it's like things are in this world. Hopes fail and an end comes. We have only a little time to wait now. We are lost in ruin and downfall, and there is no escape. It's a dark moment for Sam and Frodo at that moment in Return of the King outside that, that ghoulish place of Mount Doom. And Daniel must have in some ways felt at least a little bit like Sam and Frodo at this point in all that he's been through. He has just heard of the news of what's been so terrible for the people of Israel as they've gone back from Babylon and Persia back into the promised land of Israel and things started off so well with the rebuilding of the wall under Zerubbabel and all of the early success and then as the they begin to build the temple, great opposition came from the outside and sure enough, Cyrus the king of Persia ultimately called a cease and desist order when it came to the building of the temple and Daniel's heard this word many miles away in Babylon and surely he's wondering, is this the end? But I'm not yet quite ready somehow. <laughs> as Sam mentions here, to give up, though it looks like the writing is, as it were, on the wall. I mean, Daniel's well into his 80s at this point. He's not sure how much longer he's going to be around. Is he ever going to get to see the redemption of God 
really come in the way that it's been promised, the way that he's imagined. Is something beautiful going to rise up from this wreck? Is some phoenix going to emerge from the ashes? Some real restoration to what seems to be only ruin. That's part of what's here in this vision that's been extending all the way back from Daniel chapter 10, Daniel chapter 11, and now closing here in Daniel chapter 12. And it doesn't take long, really, for Daniel to get an answer to this heart's cry. We see it in verses 6 and 7 in our text. Listen to what it says here, verse 6 and 7 of the passage that we just read. And someone said to the man clothed in linen... One of the angels there in the presence during this vision, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? What wonders is he talking about here? Well, probably the wild wonders we've been looking at in chapters 10 and 11, but it could be extending all the way back to chapter 7. All of these wild wonders. What's going to ultimately be the end of this? How long is it going to take? And listen to this. I heard the man clothed in linen who must have looked a little bit like Gandalf, don't you think? Gandalf the white, a little bit here. Clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, he raised his right hand and his left hand towards heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all of these things would be finished." Well, there it is. Clarity at last as you work your way through Daniel. If you've been with us since Daniel chapter 7, at least in the latter half of this series, you've heard that little phrase. In fact, time, times, and half a time should have been Daniel 7, should have been Daniel 9. And at the end, it shows up here in Daniel 12. It's the answer to how long it's going to take before all of these wonders are going to be known. Now, here's something that we've learned throughout the book of Daniel. When you ask a question or you pray a petition or prayer with regards to clarity, God is faithful to answer it with an answer that will raise more questions than it will answer. (laughs) God has done that faithfully throughout the book of Daniel. And part of what it is that he's actually teaching us in this is that he wants us to know enough to keep us challenged by faith to pursue him with the things that we don't know. That's a part of the work of God, isn't it? We we see Daniel very clearly in verse 8 having to experience this again. He says, I heard him, but I didn't understand. I didn't get it. I didn't know what the man clothed in linen was trying to communicate by this time, times, and half a time, by this shattering of the people. Then all of these things will be finished. And so what does Daniel do? Well, he does like we often do. Look at the latter half of verse 8. He asks another question. He poses it a little bit differently this time. Oh, my God, what shall be the outcome of these things? Now, we know this ploy, the ploy of asking a question and getting an answer that's enigmatic and strange, and then re-asking, as it were, the same question, hoping in some ways you'll get some more clarity out of what came. And he doesn't actually get a lot more clarity in this case. In fact, he's just told to go his way. 
It's kind of a polite, angelic way to say, get out of here. This is sort of what's going on here. Is to say, you've gotten all that you're going to get. You know enough to have faith. And you're not going to get everything that you're going to know. You're going to be some things that's going to take some time for it to be revealed. Time is, as Nathaniel Hawthorne said, a babbler. It will tell all eventually. <laughs> and Daniel's learning that lesson here. He's learning that lesson here. He's, he's communicating that lesson to us. How long till all of these wonders will end and what shall be the outcome of these things? Well, we as readers who are now hundreds, even thousands of years removed from the visions here in Daniel, believe it or not, we actually are at an advantage because we have a lot more history to look at that Daniel had not seen. And we have the most pivotal moment in redemptive history that's experienced that Daniel had not yet been able to see. What was that? Well, it was the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then out of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we get this thing called the New Testament. Daniel doesn't have the New Testament. And so in one very real sense, we live with tremendous amount of mysteries about the second coming of Christ, but in another very real sense, we have more knowledge than Daniel has. And that's not to say that we are smarter than Daniel. It's to say we've been given more than he had because time has been a babbler. It reveals a little bit more. As it goes along, God communicates through the unfolding of history and through the unpacking of revelation. And we've actually seen this as we've gone back to 168 B.C., and seeing Antiochus Epiphanes and the destruction of the temple there in Jerusalem and then the Maccabean Revolution that came in and restored that Jewish temple in 164 B.C. And we can see that in Daniel 9 and in Daniel 11, that's foreseen. And then we've also seen that there's a veil that passes even beyond that moment of 168 B.C., 164 B.C., to another section in history where the temple is going to be destroyed. We haven't talked about that one very much yet. And that's the one that we want to talk about today a little bit. You see, Daniel, Daniel doesn't just show up in history between the intertestamental period. Daniel shows up on the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. In one of the most enigmatic passages of the New Testament, one of the apocalyptic preachings of Jesus, the one that scholars love to wrangle over the most, Matthew chapter 24 and 25, where Jesus casts a vision about the destruction of the temple that is coming in the generation of the disciples. Not the generation of Antiochus Epiphanes and the Maccabean Revolution. That's already passed by a couple hundred years. Another destruction of the temple is coming. And he appeals back to Daniel to explain not the 164 destruction, but the one that's coming in 70 AD. He does this in Matthew 24 verses 1 and 2 and then following in those sections leading up to the first 34 verses. I wish we had the time to unpack it. Let's suffice it to say that the disciples have come up next to the temple 
And the disciples are mesmerized by the beauty of this edifice and they're casting, uh, they're telling Jesus to cast his eyes towards the glory of this temple and then Jesus begins to talk about the fact that this temple will be destroyed in just a matter of time, that within this very generation these things will happen. And then notice the question that the disciples ask. It's very similar to the question we see in Daniel 12. They say, when will these things be? How long till these wonders are complete? Sounds very similar, doesn't it? And then they say, what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? Now, when the disciples asked that question, it's very likely that the disciples thought they were asking one question. They were asking, when will the destruction of the temple and the close of the age and the sign of your coming be? as if those were all three bound up together as one moment in time. The reality is, the destruction and the fall of the temple and the sign of the closing of the age and Jesus' second coming are separated by a vast expanse of time. A time that we're in the midst of right now. A time that's been now over 2,000 years. So when they asked, when will the destruction of the temple be, and when will the close of the age be, and when will be your second coming, they're asking a lot. They don't know how much they're asking, but they're asking a lot. And in that passage of Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus actually wrestles both of those questions to the ground. And he begins in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 24 using these words to describe A.D. 70 when Titus, the Roman emperor, would come into Jerusalem and would lay low the temple, so much so, as Jesus said, not one stone would be laid upon another. We read these words from Jesus. He says this in verse 15 in Matthew 24. So when you see the abomination of desolation, sounds familiar, right? The abomination that makes desolate, spoken by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand... Those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, for there will be a great tribulation. Such has not been from the beginning of the world until now and ever shall be. Now what's remarkable about Jesus' connection between Daniel chapter 12 and Daniel chapter 9 and the visions of the desolation of the temple is that he takes what has been applied to 164 B.C., as a fulfillment, and he applies it again to 70 AD as another fulfillment. It's almost like there has been a time and a times and a times and a times and a half a times, and it's almost as if there are multiple unfoldings through multiple passages, through multiple layers, and the story goes ever on. Exactly. And it gets even a little hairier. You see, in Revelation chapter 14, there's this story about a woman who gives birth to a male child and the dragon is chasing after it's probably something like Jesus Christ. And as that child escapes into the wilderness and 
as it goes through this circuitous journey, we're told that it will be nourished in the wilderness, and you know how long it'll be nourished? Very interestingly, for a time and times and half a time. Oh no, it showed up again in Revelation. What in the world is going on? Well, Daniel, the words are shut up. The book has been sealed. Go your way. All right, now one of the things that clearly the scripture is teaching us that we are not going to get to the bottom of what this means. And, 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 and there is clarity that one can dig into. We can actually spend a little bit of time about these times, time, and half a time. You remember the division of the 70 weeks in Daniel chapter 9? I know that's in the forefront of your mind right now. The vision of the 70 weeks. It, we're told that one of the weeks is cut in half, which if you cut a week and a half, how many days are on each side of the half? Three and a half and three and a half. And many argue that that's the time, times, and the half of times, right? I mean, that makes sense. You cut a week and a half, you get three and a half on each side, and you get a time, times, and a half a time. And that's potentially what this actually means. And maybe that's a threefold division that's intended for us to understand. In fact, when you begin to look at it and you look at 70 weeks and you begin to count out 70 weeks, do you know how many days that is? Really close to 1,290 days which is at the end of this passage. You go, oh, well, maybe that's it. Maybe, that, maybe that's what the 70 weeks is all about, the 1,290 days and the three and a half and the three and a half times. It's beginning. Yeah, but then you get this 1,335 thing. And it's not even like a normal biblical number, like 40 or 10 or 12. It's 45 days. What does that mean? It is, it is almost as if I want to give you enough to understand that there is reason behind it. There's a plan that's scripted it. And there's going to be enough mystery that's going to leave you walking into the darkness by faith. Walking by the light of what I've given you. Do you see there's an application here? That we are to believe the truth that we know and live by its light. And we are to trust the God of that truth as we walk into the mystery. We are to believe the truth and live by its light. And we are to trust the God of that truth as we walk into the mystery. You know, there's going to be a blood moon today, tomorrow. Super moon. Some of you have been watching this, right? We could do a lot of fun astronomical things with that if you'd like. There's some really interesting documentaries out there. My mom and I had a wonderful conversation about it this weekend. I don't know what it all means, but it may mean something. And I can assure you something, we'll all be surprised. That's something we can all bank on. But once it's passed, we'll look back on it and we'll go, oh yeah, he did tell us that, didn't he? Oh yeah, he did. You know, you remember that one of the favorite sections there in John chapter 10 when Jesus actually tells us that when the Pharisees come to him and they're trying to attack him and he's cleansed of the temple and he's run out the money changers, they say, give us a sign for the things that you do here. And you know what he says? <laughs> Destroy this temple and in three days I'll rise it up again. It took us 46 years, Jesus, 
to build this temple. What in the world do you mean? And then there's a little note there at the end of John 2. And you know what it says? It says when the disciples realized that Jesus had really been resurrected from the dead, they remembered this saying. And they believed the scripture. Now, it doesn't take much to read between the lines. The disciples were sitting there with the Pharisees going, what in the world does he mean? And probably like Jesus, if they asked him, he would say something like time, times, and a half a time. And the disciples would have left wondering, well, we'll just keep following him. And then later, as time rocked along, and as redemptive history revealed itself, the disciples went, wait, he told us this. He said this was going to happen. He's the temple. Oh, so, so wait. Wait, you mean like 164 B.C. and the destruction of the temple was a sign of 70 also A.D., but the real destruction of the temple came? The real abomination of desolation happened? when wicked men laid their hands on the body of Jesus Christ? Because he is the real temple of the presence of God? You mean all of this is ultimately the fulfillment of, I see it now. It makes sense to me. This is the way revelation works. This is the way the unfolding of the redemptive history and the redemptive story Works. This is how walking in the period of the end time actually happens. God reveals enough to us to keep us challenged in holiness and to walk by faith. And that's really the point here in Daniel chapter 12. That the continual unfolding of the redemptive story will be both beautiful and often terrifying and just when we think we're getting somewhere, the angel will say something like, shut up the words, seal the book, go your way. You've been told all that you need to know. Endure to the end. And we'll think, there seems like there's so many questions left to be answered. There's so many threads left dangling. But what we're told here in Daniel chapter 12 is there are certain things that you just can't know ahead of time. That a part of the work of the unfolding of redemptive history is we can't always be prepared for what's going to happen. We have to trust that we'll be prepared when it happens by the power of the Spirit. That's hard for some of us. Especially those of us who like to control the outcome of things. Daniel must have had at least a little bit of that. What's going to be the outcome of these things? Tell me how it's going to go. Give me, get to the punchline. What's going to be the final score? Are we on the winning side? I want to know. I don't want to wage all this battle and not be sure. But of course, Daniel had already been told that in this passage. He had been told that right at the very beginning of this passage, but, but, but maybe he didn't hear it. Maybe it wasn't time yet for him to understand it. At the beginning of this passage, beginning in verse 3, we read, or beginning in the very beginning of this passage, we read these words. 
At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. Sounds a lot like Jesus' words again in Matthew chapter 24. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Now this book is not a mystery to many of us because we know a little bit more of the story. This book is called the Lamb's Book of Life. It's described in several places in the New Testament, most prominently in the book of Revelation. And then notice this. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. The picture here at the beginning of this chapter, those seemingly not registering fully with Daniel, he heard but he didn't understand, we're told, is the picture in the time of the moment of Christ's return, his second coming, when the dead in Christ will arise to everlasting joy and to everlasting pleasure, and those who are dead without Christ will arise as well to everlasting shame and to everlasting torment. It's a picture at once both beautiful and terrifying. That is the very opening of the book of Daniel. And that's all he knows. Is that that's going to happen. But he doesn't seem to get it. He doesn't seem to understand what that means. Which, let's be honest, do you all understand resurrection? You understand how it's going to happen? How all the pieces are going to come back together and... You're going to come forth from the grave. I mean, freak some of us out, kind of thinking about it a little bit. It feels a little weird. You know, we live in the age of zombie movies. It's, this feels strange to us, frightening to us. You don't all understand. It's mysterious. It was really strange for an Old Testament figure like Daniel where the teaching on resurrection was implicit but never at the forefront of the teaching. It would come later in the unfolding of redemptive history. But we have an explicit reference here in Daniel chapter 12 of the fact that God is seeding the promise and the truth of Revelation from the very beginning. And what we see the angel do in this passage is to say, Daniel, listen, I know you're interested about how long. I know you're interested about the outcome. We've given you little hints here and there as to what it's going to mean. We're not going to unpack all the details for you. You can't handle the details. You can't even understand the details we've given you. We're shut up. We're going to seal the book. We're going to trust the unfolding of redemptive history. And here's what I want you to focus on, Daniel. I want you to focus on perseverance and preparation Instead of worrying about charts and timelines, I want you to have your feet on the ground. I want you to wake up tomorrow morning and live with the anticipation of this reality. I want you to be awakened to what it is I'm doing in the world. It is not when Jesus will come or how exactly it will unfold that's the important focus of this text. It's preparation for when it happens. To be ready no matter what takes place and whenever it takes place. And what is called wisdom in this passage is one who is willing to put into practice what we know and to trust God with what we don't know, knowing that if we persevere to the end, rest and reward will certainly be ours 
in Christ. And we know that. We have clarity on that. We have confirmation of God's truth from that. And this is exactly how the book of Daniel ends. Notice verse 13. Blessed is the one who perseveres to the end. For that person shall rest and stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Friends, this is what the passage is teaching us. We're going to have to walk in the mysteries of God and in the faithfulness of what He has clearly communicated. We're going to have to put one foot in front of the other, daily renewing our minds in that truth, asking for the strength of the Holy Spirit who will uphold us, who will energize us, who will carry us, if need be, across the finish line. And the more we become dependent upon the Holy Spirit to do that work within us, and the more we exert gospel-fueled effort in order to strive and to run the race that is set before us, looking not to the clarity of how these things will unpack or when these things will happen, but looking to Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, laying off every sin which so easily clings to us, running with the wind, no matter what obstacle may come into our space. That is the person who rests. That is the person who finds their allotted place. What does that mean? The position that Jesus has reserved for us in heaven. Behold, he goes to prepare a place for us. And when he comes, he will retrieve us and he will bring us back to the place that he has made for us, that mansion, that home in glory. We know these things are going to happen. Our minds have to be constantly renewed in those. And as they are, the details and the mysteries we can rest in. And we can begin to allow God and His unfolding of redemptive history to simply take place and say, Lord, we trust you with what we don't know because we know enough to know we can trust you. We know enough to know we can trust you. And whatever it is that you're going to do, you're going to do it right. It's going to be true. And at the end, when we look at it all and we see the glorious tapestry of history interwoven together, we will say not one thread was left dangling. Not one life was out of accord. Not one injustice was left unmitigated. Not one mercy or grace that was supposed to be given was not given. Everything was perfectly in its place. And we will forever enjoy tracing the threads of that tapestry. Just like the disciples were doing that day after Jesus' resurrection. And they remembered what he'd said about the temple that day. And all of a sudden, something new dawned on them. He really knows what he's talking about. He really is who he said he is. Why did I ever doubt him? Why did I let what I don't know bother me so much? When what I do know hushes the mystery 
and allows me to walk by faith and not by sight. You see, there's something really remarkable about Scripture is that it gives us enough clarity that we might have faith. But it doesn't give us enough clarity so as to take away the need for faith. A lot of times as we're making decisions in life, we pray for things like clarity. And maybe we should pray for faith. He's given us clarity. There's nothing that you need to know that you don't know. Everything's been said. It's a matter of trust. It's a matter of walking in it. It's a matter of believing it and obeying and letting him tell the story. I've told you before, it's very frustrating. As a wannabe pastor quite a few years ago, eagerly asking for clarity on a matter with someone who was counseling me and mentoring me. I still do this a lot with people. You constantly need counsel and mentoring, right? That never stops. I was with him and I asked a question. He said, that's a great question. I don't think you're old enough for me to answer that. I, I, just don't, I just don't think you're old enough for me to answer that. But there will come a time where it will be time to answer that. I hated that answer. I hated that answer. But let me put it in perspective. Sometimes I get the privilege of sitting with couples in preparation for marriage. It's a wonderful thing. You sit with a couple in preparation for marriage and you walk through things like money and communication and children and intimacy and budgeting. And you see the excitement on their face and the love in their hearts. And you think some of this communication was going to make sense more in a few years. Some of what we're going to talk about today will register later. And that's okay. We can't know what we're getting into always on the front end. That's part of the adventure. The joy of life. You're going to need grace as it comes in the present. And we would like to stockpile grace like manna but you know what? When you try to do that, it sours. God says, don't, you don't have to stockpile it. I'll come when you need it again tomorrow. Sleep easy. I'll take care of you when it's time. As Sam and Frodo waited for their death and the end to come, they entered into a dreamlike state. Some of you will remember that where in the moment of their greatest need, they were valiantly rescued by the wind lords. It's a beautiful scene. They're carried away from their danger. And they don't even know it. Kind of lost consciousness, kind of drifted off at this point. But after some time, Sam begins to awake. 
And he realizes he's in a place of real ease and of pleasure, and he doesn't really know, like, what happened. He has a little, he's got some brain fog over all that had happened. He rubs his eyes, and amazingly, he looks, and none other than Gandalf the White stands before him. Someone who, you know, beard is gleaming and sparkling, and he's clothed in a kind of linen, a kind of white. And Sam didn't believe it at first, but once he'd gotten over the bewilderment, he said, Gandalf, I, I thought you were dead. But of course, I thought I was dead. <laughs> Is everything sad going to come untrue? And Gandalf, we're told, responded, A great shadow has departed. And then he laughed, a, a laugh that was like the sound of music, a laugh that fell upon the ears of Sam like an echo of all the joys that he had ever known. You see, that's it. No matter what happens with regards to the end of time and the end of life, there will be a God who says the shadow has departed and who laughs with a laugh that is like the music of the ages, that strikes our ears like the echo of all of the joys that we've ever known. And we will know in that moment that all that we didn't know and all that we worried about was foolishness because he always had it in the palm of his hand even when we were afraid that he didn't. We have a lot to learn from Daniel chapter 12. Let the reader and the hearer understand. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we would ask that this message, these words, sit in our hearts until we believe them. And for us, we acknowledge to you that it might take a long time. And we're okay with that. We will trust you for however long it takes, just as long as it happens. Though many trials and dangers and toils and snares have come, we trust that grace that has brought us thus far will be the grace that brings us home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.